0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit RedemptionCalgaryNorth.com. Well, good morning. All right, Redemption kids, you guys can be dismissed. Um, Just go to the signs. Grades three to six is the orange sign. Kindergarten to grade two is yellow sign. And three and four-year-olds are the blue sign. Uh, We want to just make a special note of those who are uh, gathering with us online uh, today. Uh, We realize that uh, for some, you're unable to be here today. And so, uh, just a special welcome to you. Um, We are about to get into the book of Romans. Everyone ready for that? Excited about that? Uh, We're going to be looking at Romans 1, 1 through 7 this morning. Uh, Before we get there, though, I just want us to think about this book. Um, It's had a profound impact over the last 2,000 years on Christianity. Uh, Some have have called it kind of the jewel of Paul's writings. Uh, We understand that all of God's Word is God's Word, but this a book in particular, the way it's written, the, the, the content about the gospel, it is it is a treasure that um, men like Luther were greatly impacted by. And both Luther and Tyndale, they, they talked about the fact that if you just were to soak in the book of Romans day after day, verse by verse, word by word, that your life would be profoundly impacted. And I want to just encourage us here this morning to really take heed to that advice. That that as we go through this, Sunday after Sunday, that you engage, that you write notes down, you think it through, that that as you go to small group each week and you study it with your small group, that you really engage in the process. And then as a family, that you're also looking at this book verse by verse, thinking through the implications of this book for your life. This book, as we study it, has a great opportunity to impact our lives for God's glory. We want to be more like Him. We want to understand who we are. And as we look at the text this morning, we're going to see that's exactly where he starts. Who are you? If I was to ask you that question, what would your response be? Who are you? Would you begin with, you know... um, I mean, some, some things that we used to take for granted aren't really taken for granted anymore, you know what I'm saying, uh, when it comes to our identity. But what would you start with? Would you give a list of your accomplishments? Would you talk about your family? Would you talk about where you grew up? What would you say if someone asked you who you are? Well, Paul, this morning, he's going to tell us who he is in, in one verse, and and. and that verse will challenge us to think about who we are. He's going to talk about who he is. He's going to talk about who is Christ in verses 2 through 4. And then he's going to talk about who you are as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so identity is going to be established here this morning. Identity is really important in regards to why am I here? Why am I here? Living through another day. What's the whole point of my life? If you don't understand your identity, it gets really tough. And as people are confused about their identity today, we're seeing an increasingly hopelessness in people. But I want to encourage us this morning that we can know who we are. Why? Because God has given us His Word. And His Word is truth. His Word is our authority today. And so I pray that if you're kind of wondering who you are, That by the time we leave here today, you would know who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not know him this morning, if you don't know who Jesus is, that by his grace, by his mercy, that he would open your eyes to see today for the first time who he is. And so before we get into God's word this morning, let me pray for us and then we're going to get into it. Lord God, we are so thankful for this time together this morning. Lord, I'm thankful today that, Lord, you know every heart here. You know the ups and downs of this past week. You know the struggles, the trials. Lord, you know our thoughts. And, Lord, you know our hearts. And this morning, God, I'm praying that this would be a season of rich growth for your people. That, God, as we think about the implications of the gospel for our life, as we understand who Jesus is, Lord, that we would live accordingly, that, Lord, we would be passionate about the good news of God, that, Lord, it would be our focus day in and day out, not just now, but for all of eternity. Lord, we desire to bring you glory. We desire to bring you honor. And as we look at your word this morning, I'm praying that you would just lead this preacher, Lord, help him to speak your words in such a way that, Lord, we would understand your word in a greater way. So, Lord, lead us now through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Romans 1. All right, everyone there? Romans 1, turn in your Bibles to Romans 1. If you... um, don't have a Bible with you, maybe you have a phone, and you can download the app, and uh, iPad, I can see that, okay, whatever the case may be, but we need to look at God's Word together. Um, We're going to go through verse by verse by verse, and we understand, as I always say, preacher doesn't have anything for you, but God's Word has a whole lot for us. And so I was just, like, blown away this week. I'm thinking, it's the greeting, like, how difficult, this? you know, first seven— it was difficult, okay? Can I just say, um, there's, some, there's some things in here I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And, and, and that's the implications of this are like, like really important. And so we're going to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to break it down together. So let's do that now. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So first we see the identity of Paul. He's God-centered. The identity of Paul, when you look at his life, is that he is God-centered. And the first thing that we uh, see as we look at this book, of course, is that it is written by Paul. Paul. And even the liberal scholars have a tough time trying to get around that one, okay? It was Paul. And if you were in Rome, even though you had never met Paul, you knew who Paul was. He was famous both negatively and positively. In the negative sense, Paul's life mission for a time was to destroy the church. And we know that he was there uh, He was present when Stephen was stoned. He was holding the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen. And then as we get to chapter 9, we find out that it's not enough to persecute the Christians in, in Jerusalem. They've left. A lot of them have left as a result of the persecution. Let's go to other cities and persecute them. And so he was famous in that regard. Nobody wanted to be around Paul if you were a Christian. Of course, at that time, he was known as Saul. But on the road to Damascus, as he's on the way to persecute Christians, Jesus says, you're done. And he asks him why he is persecuting him. And Paul, as he has this vision of Christ, he, he sees him in all his glory. He under, he's trying to figure out, who are you that I'm persecuting? And Jesus reveals, it's you, it's me, Jesus, that you are persecuting. And from that moment on, God has a call on his life to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so not just a follower, but to be an apostle, as we're seeing in just a moment. And so they'd heard about Saul, but they'd also heard about Paul. As he's, about, as he's writing this letter, he's at the tail end of his third missionary journey. There's been great growth in the church. This is around 57 AD. And we're going to see as we go through this book, he's, on, he's, he's um, in Corinth, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he's just going to have a quick visit there, and then the plan is that after he gives the tithes and offering in Jerusalem, then he's going to come to Rome, and I need you guys' help because my plan is then to go to Spain, right? So that's kind of what is, is going on as he's writing this letter. And he describes, first of all, his master, who his master is. He says he is a servant of Christ Jesus. Servant. It's a little less, you know, um, intimidating than what the word actually says. The word is doulos, and the word means slave. He's saying, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he has one hundred percent ownership over me. He, I, he understands that he's been bought by the blood of the Lamb. As he's going to unveil, as we go through these book, uh, go through these chapters, he's one hundred percent devoted to this Master, Christ Jesus, Christ Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for the word for Messiah. He is the Messiah, Jesus. He is the servant. He is the slave of this one. As you think about your life, is that how you view your relationship to Christ? That you are a slave of His, willing and able to do anything that He asks you to do? Lord, I, 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 I understand that serving you is not just on Sundays, I understand that it's not just nine to five. I understand that serving you is 24-7. My life is not my own. I am a slave of Christ Jesus. Is that how you view your life? Paul is a model for us in this regard. A lot of talk these days about our rights Paul's like, I have no rights. I am a slave of of Christ Jesus, and happily so. And so that's how he begins. Is that how you begin your letter? Right? Hey, I know we've never met, but let me first say this. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. What a great way to start. Third missionary journey. He could have said, hey, I'm Paul. Maybe you heard about me on my third missionary journey. Look at all the churches that have been planted throughout Asia. I'm that guy, right? And gives his resume, you know, and everyone's like, oh, wow, you know. What a guy. What a servant. Paul's just like, I don't really care about what I've done. I just want you to know whose I am. I am a servant of Christ Jesus. So we first see his master. Next we see his gift. His gift. As we learned last week, every one of us, when we are saved, we are called to be a part of Christ's church, and we are gifted to, to see his church grow, as we looked at in Ephesians 4, through 16 last weekend. But for the apostle Paul, he was called to be a, a, an apostle, right? Now an apostle in his sense is different than maybe this, the small a, do you know what I'm saying? Small a sent out one. But for Peter, or sorry, for Paul, he was an apostle of Christ Jesus. To be an apostle of Christ Jesus, you needed this. You needed to have seen Christ. You needed to have seen the resurrected Lord. As I mentioned, his story a little different. He didn't have three years with Jesus like Peter, James, and John, right? Those guys we understand. They had three years with Jesus. They… Seen him die, and then they seen him rose, uh, risen, uh, risen again. But Paul didn't see the resurrected Lord until him, him, sorry, his meeting him on the road to Damascus. His call to be an apostle was such that it wasn't just that he would be a messenger for the Lord Jesus Christ, to proclaim his word, to be one, as it says in Ephesians 2.20, to be a part of the foundation of the church, his specific ministry was to be to the Gentiles. Now, as we go through the book of Acts, we see that he also tried to minister to the Jews, but more times than not, they were like, get rid of this Paul guy, and then he said, okay, now moving on to the Gentiles, right? And you do that over and over again in each city. And so he was called to be an apostle. As he highlighted his fact that he is a slave of Jesus Christ, he also wants them to understand that he's not just writing to them as a friend. He's not just writing to them as a brother. He is representing the Lord Jesus Christ as as an apostle, and so what he's about to say is authoritative. It, it, It is from God Himself to them. And so as they read this letter, it shouldn't be like, well, that's nice. Good for Paul, moving on. These things are to be authoritative in his life, and they are authoritative in your life and my life. And so he's called to be an apostle. And then it says this, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. This idea of being set apart is is to have that single-mindedness. His whole mission is the good news, that's the word, that translation, gulion, I think, if I I butcher Greek when I try to say it, so I don't try to say it a whole lot, but uh, if you know Greek, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Um, but but the, the word here is good news, and that word was used throughout culture, not just in the Christian circles. It was used in Rome oftentimes in association with the emperor, if something good had happened with the emperor, they, they would proclaim it in all the, in all the world. And they would say, listen to the good news. And he has had this victory, or he has, um, there's a son been born, the future heir. That, that would be the kind of news that they would be used to. And so notice that he says, this is the good news of God. Not just good news, like, hey, I got a, I got a promotion right? My team won, whatever, you know, whatever the good news is. This is, this is like, take all that good news, and then like way above that is the good news of God. A specific message to the world from God that He wants all mankind to understand. Do you know that good news this morning? Do you know what God has for you? The message that he wants you to understand. Well, Romans 1 through 16 is going to be about that. That message that, that, that though you and I were lost, we can be found through Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, that's what my life is about. I am set apart for the gospel of God so, so that everyone might hear this message He's on his third missionary journey, he's making plans to go to Jerusalem, and then it's what? I want to go where it's not been taught before, and so we're going to, I get, I get you guys already have a church in Rome, I'm going to just stop in and say hey, and then I'm on to Spain. Like that was his passion. Who, doesn't, who hasn't heard the news yet? i got to tell them. And the question this morning is, is that my passion? as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I have the same passion as Paul? I, who hasn't heard? They have to hear this good news. And listen, you and I can no longer assume that the people who are around us have heard the good news. Increasingly, people have no idea what you're talking about. And so these are exciting days, right? You know, Wasn't so long ago, a couple of generations ago, where everybody kind of went to church and they kind of knew of the gospel, they kind of knew of Christ, but they, you know, whether or not they were followers of him was kind of up in the air, but they had an understanding of what you were talking about. But increasingly, people don't know. And so for you and I, our passion should be the same as Paul's, and to say, I am set apart for the gospel. I want people to hear who have never heard, so that they might know that there is a God who loves him. There's a message from God for all people and I want to be a part of that. What a great introduction. They, may that be our introduction. Of course, the apostle part, sorry, you can't do that, okay? Right, you have not seen the resurrected Lord, but you have been given a gift for the furtherance of his kingdom. So first we see Paul's identity. The second thing is we're gonna see Christ's identity in glory stamped. I think is a great way of putting his identity. Glory stamped. For some people, they think that Christianity just started 2,000 years ago. That the whole idea of it just started 2,000 years ago. Oh man, they just came up with a new religion. It's called Christianity. And, and, and so, I reject that. There are people like that. They, they, don't, they haven't looked into it. They don't understand it. And they're like... You know, I know there was that whole Jewish thing, and they kind of put their roots back to creation, and so there's that religion. It seems like it might have some kind of foundation, but that Christianity thing is only 2,000 years old, and Paul wants his readers to understand right from the beginning is that this is not a new thing, that the good news of God had been proclaimed far before Christ ever came to this earth, but it all, the entire Old Testament, pointed to him, pointed to the fact that he is the promised Messiah. And we think about the glory of Jesus Christ, one of the things we need to understand that he was and is the promised Messiah. Look at verse 2. And he's talking about this good news of God, which he promised beforehand, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It's an incredible thing to read the Old Testament in light of our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Because as you read it, you're just like, oh yeah, right there, that's talking about him. And oh yeah, that's talking about him. And oh, right there, that's, oh, that's also talking about him. 61 times in the book of Romans, Paul is going to quote directly from the Old Testament. A whole lot from Isaiah, a whole lot from Psalms. 14 different books he quotes from in the Old Testament. And then there's a whole lot of allusions that aren't direct quotes that are saying it's from the Old Testament. Like you see how Christ was the one who fulfilled it all. Moses in Deuteronomy 18 said, hey, there's a prophet who's going to come, who's going to speak my word. Christ was the fulfillment of that. In 2 Samuel 7, we learn about this one who will come after David. There's going to be one who will reign forever from the line of David. And from Solomon on, they keep wondering, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? And by the time of Jesus coming, they kind of forgotten about it. Until he came and he starts doing these miracles. And like, okay, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one. Not quite the Messiah they expected. But they understood, the apostles understood him to be, or sorry, the disciples understood him to be the Messiah. But all through the Old Testament, from Genesis right through to Malachi, we see the promises of God being, pointing to this one who would be called Jesus. And we also see in verse 3 this is concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Paul first focuses on the incarnation. The fact that the son, and pointing to the fact that he preexisted, didn't just have his beginning with his birth in Bethlehem, he preexisted, but he was born as one descended from David. Of course, we know that that was really important, that he would be descended, why? Because it's fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7, that he, according to the flesh, would be descended from Joseph. From David. This phrase, according to the flesh, it also shows that when Christ came, he came in humility. We're going to look at Philippians 2 in just a moment, but he came in humility in his earthly ministry. It's incredible. These, this, verses 3 and 4 are just like how jam-packed these verses are. Like, okay, you're like, okay, this is... like There's so many different interpretations of, okay, what are these verses talking about? And, and I struggled with, like a, you know, so kind of the, the, the process of, of sermon prep is like, look at it for yourself. Start digging it through, right? Word by word, verse by verse. Then you like, look at the Greek, okay, that, okay, that, that okay, that helps a little bit more understanding there. And then you try to put everything together in your own mind before you go to the commentaries. Well, I was desperate to get to the commentaries by the time I was done because I'm not, I'm like, what? what's this all saying here? Like, mean, even this phrase, it's jam packed. But so it's helping us to understand that, that Christ himself came as a servant in the flesh, became truly human, fully God, fully man. Really important as we begin to think through. The, I mean, Romans is such a theologically rich book. We need to understand these things. He wasn't just God. He came in the flesh. That will be significant as Paul elaborates on all these things that he's hitting here in, in first, or sorry, Romans 1, 1-7. When you think about these verses, Romans 1, 1-7, you kind of need to see like, it's like a trailer for a movie, right? Why do they do trailers? So that you're like, I, I want to go see that right? And in this greeting, Paul's like, can I just give you a little bit of a hint of where we're going? So that's what he's doing here. He's just giving us a little bit of a hint where he's going. He first is revealing that, that Jesus is the victorious Messiah. So he came from the line of day. He's fulfilling those scriptures. And then it says this in verse 4, and this is really where it gets a little bit more, okay, what is he saying here? And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here he's highlighting that Jesus is the victorious Savior. He's the victorious Savior. He's pointing to his death and resurrection as he writes these things. But this is where it gets a little difficult. The first thing, if you look at the Greek, you see and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. The problem with translating it that way is that the word for declared in the Greek doesn't translate declared. It's appointed. The word is appointed, that he was, so in other words, you would say, and he was appointed to be the Son of God. So why would they translate it declared instead? Because they don't want people to get the wrong thinking here, right? Because if it seems that it was only at the resurrection that he was appointed to be the Son of God, what does that look like? It looks like maybe one of the cults that you guys would follow, you know, someone would follow, right? That, that if he was only at that time appointed to be the Son of God, then what's really being said here? That, that Jesus was something else beforehand? So, so then what do you do here? So some are like, let's just go with declared. I think that's really a better way. And so what really Paul is looking at is first his humanity and then his divinity. And see, and now it all kind of wraps together. But it's not true to what the text is actually saying. So now what is our alternative? A whole lot of Acts is pointing back to Psalm 2, 7. Psalm 2, 7. Let me just turn there for you. Uh, Psalm 2, 7 where it talks about Christ and what is to come. And it says this about Christ. He says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. At that point, there's a declaration that he is the king at that point. He is the Messiah, is another way we could put it. And so in verses like Acts, let me just... uh, Make sure I got this right. Acts 16, I believe it is. Acts 16. No, that's not it. Sorry. I don't have my notes with me. Sorry. Um, in Acts, a couple of different times. Acts 2, and I, I'm trying to write, I think maybe it's Acts 17. But in both those places he alludes to the fact that Christ is the fulfillment of what it was said of him in Psalm 2, that he would be the Messiah. And so he is eternally the Son of God. Jesus Christ is that. But at that point, he takes on a new function. He takes on a new role, which is the King Messiah. He is the Messiah King. When we consider the book of Revelation... And what is said about Jesus Christ? What, is, what are some of the things that are said about him? That he is the risen Lamb of God. That he is the firstborn from the dead. And so this declaration is saying, look at my son here. Look at my son. He's, he's taking on a new role. And so as you consider eternity, everything prior to the death and resurrection pointed to the cross pointed to the resurrection. Everything since then is pointed back to the death and resurrection of the Lord God. And so as he is appointed then to be the Son of God, he's not just to be appointed to be the Son of God, but he's appointed to be the Son of God in power. In power. He is the resurrected Lord. And he's taking on a new role. His kingdom is beginning. And we see that there when it says this. That um, sorry, according to the Spirit, according to what? According to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. With Christ's resurrection, there became a whole new era. When Christ came, He came in humility, but now He's resurrected, and He's went to the right hand of the Father. To help us to see the fuller picture, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and just keep your finger in Romans. We're going to go to that in just a moment again, but Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5, we see this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who what? Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. As Paul says in Romans 1, as a descendant of David, and being in, humble, in human form in the flesh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death at, on a cross. Therefore, what? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name." So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's this whole new revelation that happens as a result of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the victorious Savior. Back to Romans 1. by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus the Messiah, our Master, our God. Now, the third thing that we see about God's, Jesus' glory here is that he is the exalted Lord. He is the exalted Lord. Look with me at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. For the sake of his name. When we consider the gospel, when we consider the good news of Jesus Christ, the one of the things that we need to understand that Him doing this brings glory to His name. We are the benefactors, we received grace, we've received mercy, we received His love, but the reason that He has done it all for is for the sake of His name, for His glory. And last week, as we talked about our mission as a church to see lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied, we end that with what? All to the glory of God. And so as we go, we desire to see people saved, but we also desire that the whole world would know that God is great and greatly to be praised. That He is the exalted Lord. Lord. And that at his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, just And he's going to expand on all of this as we get into all the rest of the book of Romans. But he just gives us a glimpse. Do you understand that he's the promised Messiah? Do you understand that he's the victorious Savior? Do you understand that he's the exalted Lord? That our entire hope is in him? That this is the good news of our God? the great news of our God, that though we were lost without him, that we were dead in our sin, that Jesus came as was the plan before the creation of the world, that he came and he humbled himself, he took on flesh, he lived the perfect life, and then he became the sacrifice for you and I. And as a result of that, you and I's life are never the same will never be the same. this is where our identity needs to be established. We as believers have a gospel-shaped identity. As believers, as you consider who you are, I pray that this is where it would begin. That you would understand who you are as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know where your hearts are at this morning. I don't know if you're just like, Discouraged because of COVID, (laughs) or what, you know, that's an easy one, okay? Or maybe there's struggles in the home. You're having problems with parenting, or there's struggles in your marriage, or there's problems at work. I'm praying that all of that will just pale in comparison to your understanding of who you are in Him this morning that you'll get a fresh glimpse of that, and that when you leave here this morning, you can't wait to go tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ because of how much is impacting your life today and because of how much you want to see His name glorified in this earth. The first thing that we need to understand as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that we have been reborn. How did that come about? Verse 5, let's look at that again. Through whom, through Jesus... We have received grace and apostleship. Now, just quickly on that, we have received grace and apostleship for, not, I'm, uh, for a reason I'm still grappling with, okay? Can I just be honest? All the commentaries say we is an editorial we, which I still don't really understand that we is, but it's an editorial we where Paul ultimately is just talking about himself, where he says that he has received grace and apostleship, and what he's saying is I though undeserving, have received not only salvation, but God in his grace has called me to be an apostle. He's called me to be an apostle so that what? What are the implications? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. For by grace are you saved through faith. As Paul goes and he proclaims the good news, he understands that two things need to happen. That faith needs to come about in the life of a believer, and obedience as a result of that faith. Some commentaries, they really grapple with this. Is it, is it just, is it faith and then comes obedience, or is it obedience and then comes faith? And the answer is, yes, right? They go hand in hand. As you go through the scriptures, not just in Romans, but throughout the New Testament, you see that faith and obedience need to come hand in hand. There is no, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and then I live however I want to live and walk in disobedience for my entire life. There are are no scriptures that talk like that. That I just have fire insurance, right? You understand what I'm saying with that? Fire insurance. I said the prayer... So now Jesus has to let me into heaven, and now I can just walk in disobedience to him for the rest of my life. There, there is no—there's nothing like that. When you come in faith and obedience, you become reborn, as I've suggested here. You, 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 the, the old has passed away. The new has come, as we're going to look at in just a moment. You are now a new creation in him. And as such, we spend the rest of our lives walking in faith and obedience— in, as opposed to what was before, disbelief and disobedience. That was who you were before Christ. You were a slave to sin. You didn't have a choice. To, you couldn't obey. You were, enslaved to your, you were a slave to your sin, but now Christ has freed you from that slavery to your sin, and now you can walk in obedience to him. And I'm praying as a church family, we will grow in faith and obedience day by day, and that we'll see people added to this congregation who will, for the first time, come to faith in Him, that God in His mercy and His grace would grant you faith today, and that you would believe on Him. And so the first thing is that we see is that we are reborn. Our identity is that we are reborn in Him as we come to Him in faith and obedience, the second thing that we see is that we have been reconciled. Reconciled. Look again down at the Scripture, verse 5. Through whom we received apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Could also be amongst the Gentiles. It could be that uh, thinking there. And then he says this, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, I neglected to say back in verse 1, the calling that he received to be an apostle, he uses the word kletos. And when you are called, it's not like, hey, what do you think? Would you like to be an apostle? We understand that when it came to that, Paul didn't have a choice. The, the, the word here means to be summoned. To, to really have no choice as to whether you obey or not is you have to obey what I'm calling you to do. This word in verse 6 is the same word, kletos. I have called you effectively. I have called you effectually. And, and, and in other words, when I called, you came. And you became one who belongs to Jesus Christ. Like that would be great to put on your resume, right? Who are you today? Well, I'm someone who belongs to Jesus Christ, to Jesus the Messiah. He has called me to be His. He has summoned me to be His. As such, you and I have been reconciled to Him. We were enemies of Him. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, through His His work on the cross, you and I now have been reconciled to Him. And not only have we been reconciled, but we have been redeemed. We've been redeemed. We see this in verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God. Loved by God. Romans 5, 8 tells us that even while we were still sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. John three sixteen, of course, maybe one of the most famous verses in all of Christianity, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This morning you are loved. Do you know that? We don't just say it as a tagline at the end of our services. We want you to know, we want you to understand that you have been loved by God. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Even though you and I did not deserve it one iota, God in his love died for us and has called us to be his. It reminds us of what it says as he continues on the verse and it, highlighting the fact that you and I have been remade. He's called us to be saints. And the word here is hagias. hagios which is where we get the word holy. he's called us to be holy, to be set apart, useful for his namesake. Just as Israel was to be set apart from all the other nations, you and I now are called to be set apart for his namesake, useful for him. He's going to continue to expand on this throughout the book of Romans, but let me just highlight it in Romans 12, 1 and 2, what we're called to as his people I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, what? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, but that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to be holy and acceptable to God. We need to be holy as He is holy, because we have been remade. As I said before in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. New things have come. And with that, we are now useful vessels for his namesake. So you and I ought to be set apart for him. We ought to be striving after holiness as a result of our new identity in him. And then he says this. He closes with the greeting that he uses often. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is highlighting what we have been rewarded with. If you had to choose just one word for the gospel, it may be grace. Undeserved love from the Savior. Every day. Every day. For all of eternity. Not just when you first came to faith. But grace is continually being poured out on you. Day in and day out. To cope with whatever you're going through today. God has given you grace. And peace. We who were once enemies of him. Now we have peace with him. We have peace with God. We have peace with one another. Paul, as he's writing to these, this church in Rome, is writing to Jews and Gentiles who used to live a life like this. And he's saying, You have peace now with one another. And we have peace within. From whom? From God our Father. He is now our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Note, he's saying that they are equal. Really important theologically. Grace and peace are ours, not because we deserved it, but because of the amazing God that we serve. This is who you are today, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you celebrate these things? Are you living according to your new identity in Him? Is it your passion to see Christ's name made great in all the earth? God has gifted you for the task When you consider your identity, are you ashamed? The world is going to press on you a whole lot increasingly in the days to come. They have an identity they want you to take on. And if you do not take it on, they're going to try to ruin your life. Have you noticed that? Right? This is how you need to think. We're all tolerant here. We're all tolerant. We all need to think. But you all need to think like this. And if you don't, then we're going to ruin your life. And as that pressure comes on you, I pray that you would be as Paul and say, this is my identity. This is my identity. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been made new through him. And I want the whole world to know that there is good news. Not the news you're getting on TV. There is good news from God for all mankind and everyone needs to hear this is just the trailer, and we're going to be getting into it for the next about year and a half, Lord willing. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. It is so rich, so good. And Lord, we're praying today. That as we consider who we are, that we would understand we are exactly who you say we are. That Lord, through your grace, through your mercy, that we have been made new. That we are redeemed, that we are reconciled, that we are reborn, that we are remade, that we have received grace and, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we proclaim through our lifestyle, through our words, that we know the promised Messiah, that we celebrate the victorious Savior, that we know the exalted Lord, and we want every single person on this earth to hear about it. Lord, use us for the glory of your name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.